Welcome to this week's Rashi Shear, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. We resume with the beginning of Parashat Toldot, and we were learning Parashat Kaf Vav, and we had just a couple of lines of Rashi to do at the end of Parashat Kaf Vav. So the story so far is Rivka has given birth to two twins. And the first was called Esav. And in Pasuk Kafbab, it says, And the second one came out, and he was holding on to the heel of Esav. And he, not clear who, called his name Yaakov. Um, and we got up to there last week. I know we got a bit further. And Yitzchak was 60 years when she gave birth to them. And we already learnt in Pasuk Kaf that Yitzchak was 40 when he got married and now he's 60 when he has children. And Rashi explained, we saw this last week, continuing with Rashi's um, calculation that Rivka was three when she got married, which is a somewhat strange and perhaps even slightly problematic for us, but that's what Rashi says. So they waited 10 years before she was uh, mature enough to conceive. And then they waited 10 years and nothing happened. And says Rashi, um, uh, well, we'll start from the beginning, Esa Shanim, uh, on the words Ben Shishim Shana <coughs> in Pasuk Kafab, Esa Shanim, Mishanisa Ad Shana Esit Bat Shalosh Esrei, Shana Buruuya Lehir Laharayon, which means they waited 10 years until she was 13 and old enough to conceive. And then these 10 years, which is a funny way of saying the next 10 years, they waited, um, uh, he waited for her. Now comes the bit we haven't done last week. Just as Abraham did for Sarah. Uh, if you look at Tet Zion Pasuk Gimel, You will see Vitikah Sarah Eshet Abram et Hagar Hamitzvah Chivchata that Sarah took Hagar, who was to serve as her surrogate, Miketz Esse Shanim, at the end of 10 years, Leshevet Abraham Be'eretz Kanam, of Abraham dwelling in the land of Kanam. So we learn from that some idea, and to be honest, I think it's, it's never actually actualized, that if a marriage produces no children after 10 years, then you've got to do something about it. Um, but it's worth note, and we said this at the time when we learned in, in Lechlecha, but in the case of Abraham, the clock only started when Abraham and Sarah arrived in Eretz Israel. They had been married for many years before. So it actually worked out much more than 10 years. Now in the case of Yitzchak, so Rashi says he waited for her for 10 years, Kemosha asa aviv Sarah, just like his father did for Sarah. Kevon shalonit abra, and when they, she did not conceive, Yada, he knew Shehi Akara, that she was barren, Vahit Palel Aleha, and he davened for her. And that's what happened in Pasuk Kaf Aleph. Yitzchak entreated Hashem opposite his wife or on behalf of his wife, Ki Akarahi, because she was barren. And then what happens is, Vataher Rivka Ishto, and she conceived. So it's interesting. 
that Rashi is comparing Yitzchak to Abraham in the sense they both waited 10 years and then did something. But what they did was very different. What Abraham did at Sarah's encouragement was to take a surrogate wife. What Yitzchak did was to daven. So having said that the 10 years Yitzchak, in a sense, learned from Abraham, Rashi now has to explain why Yitzchak didn't copy Abraham precisely. And that's what Rashi does. And he says, Veshivcha lo ratsa lisa. He did not want to marry a maidservant, because he was sanctified on to be a pure burnt offering. So here is the source that Rashi implies that something happened at the time of the Akedah that transformed the nature of Yitzchak, that gave Yitzchak a new sense of responsibility, if you like. One of the manifestations of that is he doesn't go outside of Eretz Yisrael. Another manifestation is unlike Abraham, who was prepared to take a second wife or of some status, wife, concubine, unlike also Yitzchak. So if you're looking at the, sorry, Yaakov, if you're looking at the patriarchs, we see that taking more than one wife is quite a standard thing. Yitzchak is the odd one out. He doesn't want to have a second wife, even though that was the model for both actually his father uh, with Hagar and Yaakov with Bilhah. Um, whom he took as a wife when Rachel didn't have any children. But Yitzchak doesn't do that. So Rashi says, because he was nitkadesh ha-hamaria l'hiyot olatumima. He was sanctified on ha-hamaria at the time of the Akedah to be a burnt offering. And that gives him a certain level of kadusha. What Rashi doesn't spell out is what's the connection between that and not taking a second wife. So you could say that what Yitzchak doesn't do is take another wife as a wife. And the word shivcha is a little bit imprecise, which says maidservant. We know that a Kohen Gadol is not allowed to have a second wife. Okay, before Rabbeinu Gershom, uh, in the times of the Torah, uh, well, well, it's not in the times of the Torah, in the times of the, the biblical era, it was perfectly permitted to take a second wife. Notice, by the way, it's not normal. Most people in Tanakh don't have a second wife. The ones who do like uh, are well known for it. it. It was allowed, but it wasn't normative. In the time of the Gemara, clearly it was allowed, but not normative. Masechi Yavamot is all about incredibly complicated familial situations. Four brothers marrying four sisters, and then one brother marrying seven various other family members, and lots of people marrying lots of people. But to be honest, there's no indication that these family setups ever actually happened. They're pretty much th theoretical constructs, because you don't find uh, in any sort of normative way, people, even in the Gemara, marrying more than one wife happens, but very, very occasionally. Anyway, so you could say that as a sign of, sorry, the Kohen Gadol cannot take more than one wife. And um, you could say, although it's not explicit, that's an expression of his Kedusha, that because he's Kodesh, somehow that relates to not having more than one wife. Um, so that could be what Yitzchak is, what Rashi is saying about Yitzchak. Or you could say, that he didn't want to take a wife anyway. Maybe he didn't want to take a second wife as a wife because he'd learned from Eliezer of all the miracles that happened when Eliezer went to find Rivka. And Rivka was clearly designated by Hashem as his uh, Batzuk, as his partner. So there was no question for him of taking another wife as a wife. But maybe he could have taken another person as a concubine, like Hagar was. Not so clear about Bilhah and Zilpah, but certainly Hagar was not a wife. Clearly, she was of a different status to Sarah. 
So maybe she, he could have had the option of taking a shivcha. And now, according to this read, reason, reading Rashi's word shivcha is precise, that the option was not to take a wife, which he didn't want to do, but the option was to take a shivcha that he didn't want to do because he was Kodesh. And perhaps that's easier to understand, but the intermingling of Yitzchak, um, a free person, a Jewish person, uh, part of the family of Abraham, to take a concubine for someone who was not free and was not uh, part of the same family, that it doesn't fit with him being an Ola Tamima. So again, either you can say um, the option was to take a second wife, but he didn't want to do that because of his Kedusha, or you can say that was never an option anyway, but maybe he would take a concubine and he didn't want to do that because of his Kedusha. Okay, let's move on to Kaf Zion. So there is so much to say on this one puzzle. Let's see how we go. The Yiktalu, so the two babies have been born. They're called Yaakov and Esau. The Yiktalu Hana'arib. The lads grew. Vayahi Esau ish yodea tzayit, ish sadeh. And Esau was a man knowing hunting, a man of field. The Yaakov ish tam. And Yaakov was a person of, let's just leave it as Tam, Yoshev Ohalim, a dweller in tents. What do we say about this verse? So Rashi says, first of all, All the time that they were little, their deeds were not recognized. The ain adam, or their, yeah, no, their deeds, but it sort of means their characters. The ain adam medaktek bahem mativam. And a person was not precise about them, what is their nature? Kevon shana asu b'nei shloshes shana. But when they became 13, zeh parash lebate midrashot, this one separated towards places like the Bet Midrash, the zeh parash le'avoda zara. And this one, uh, separated towards Avodazara. So Rashi is explaining the connection between Vayikdalu Hanarim and the words Vayihi Esav, which, uh, which, and then later on Vayihi Yaakov. And it's interesting, it's very clear that Rashi in his Dibramatchil opens with the words Vayikdalu Hanarim Vayihi Esav. It's really those four words. The lads grew, and then Esav was an Ishyadeh Tzayat. Now Rashi is going to say that Ishyadeh Tzayat is not very good. Uh, the simple shot, you might think it's a fairly neutral term. It just describes his sort of skills, if you like. But Rashi is going to say it's not very good. So when we have a he Esav Ishyadeh Tzayit, that's telling us something bad. So why does that need to be preceded by the Yigdalu Hanarim? And the answer is, as Rashi says, because until the Yigdalu Hanarim, it wasn't the case that Esav was identified as an Ishyadeh Tzayit and Yaakov was identified as an Ishtam. But it was only after the Yigdalu Hanarim. Now, Rashi says that this came to the age of 13. Um, presumably, it comes from the same source as the idea we have of a mitzvah, that when a boy reaches the age of 13, there's a certain level of maturity. Um, I would add they begin to make their own decisions. They begin to live out their own characteristics. And that's exactly what Rashi says here. Now, the age 13 is a little bit problematic. Because in Perak Tetvav, Pasuk Tetvav, Hashem promised Abraham something. So in Tetvav Tetvav, at the Brit Benavatari, Hashem says to Abraham, let's go back to Pasuk uh, Yud Gimel. Vayomela Abraham Yodea Tada, Kigei Yehazarachabe Eretz Lolahem, 
your children will be descend or your descendants will be um, in strangers in a land which is not theirs, but Avadum, and they will serve them, the Inuatam, and the whoever lives there will afflict them, Arba Meachana, for 400 years. Rashi explains it doesn't mean they were born in, in Egypt for 400 years. Begama Degoya Asher Yavdu Dan Anochi, and the nation whom they will serve, I will judge. And afterwards, they'll come out with great wealth. So that's the promise that Abraham is told about what's going to happen to his descendants. And in Tetvav, Hashem says to Abraham, You will come to your ancestors in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. And Rashi says there on the words, Bisro, that teaches that Yishmael, Abraham's son, who went a little bit off the rails, will do Teshuvah in Abraham's days. So Abraham will have the benefit in his old age of Yishmael being back on the rails. And Esau will not go to a bad um, culture, bad behavior, in his days, in Abraham's days. And therefore, Abraham died five years before his time. And Rashi, we're not, probably not going to get there tonight, but Rashi makes exactly the same point in Pasuk Kaf, um, Kaf Te, uh, sorry, Pasuk Lamud, that um, Abraham died five years and he, earlier than he would have done. Um, Yitzchak died at 180. So that is a sort of the benchmark for all the Avot. Yaakov died earlier for another reason. And Abraham died at 175. And Rashi says he died five years early. And on that day, when Abraham died, Esau marad, Esau rebelled. So until Abraham died at the age of 175, Yitzchak was born when Abraham was 100. Uh, Yaakov and Esau were born when Yitzchak was 60. So that's Abraham's 160, which means when Abraham died at 175, the boys were 15. And that's the day that Esau, Marad, rebelled. Okay, bear that in mind. So we saw that there in Pasha Lechlecha. Rashi actually spells out the same thing pretty much all over again in Pasuk Lamud of our Perak, but we haven't got there yet, so I went backwards rather than forwards. Now, what's the problem? The problem is that Rashi on our Pasuk in Kaf Zayim says explicitly that when they reached 13, that's when they went bad, or that's when Esau went bad. Um, so how do we handle this? So someone to say, there's a mistake. Somebody copied Rashi wrong. This one says 13, that one says 15, one or the other is a mistake. Some want to give a very complex argument about the missing two years, which I don't understand. Um, but I think the answer is, is simple, that Rashi, as always, is very precise. I said before the word shifcha, maybe he wasn't, but generally he is very precise. And Rashi there in Tetvav Tetvav says something different from Rashi here in Kaf Hei Kaf Zion. There he said that only when Esau was 15 did he rebel. He uses the word marad. Here he's using a different word. And here he says, um, when they were 13, So is there a difference between 
separating to a Vodazara and rebelling. I think there is. And I think other things that we will see Rashi say about Aesop's behavior make clear that yes, he's going a little bit more, more. He's going in the wrong direction, but that's not the same as rebelling. Now, there's still a slight problem because Rashi there said Esau wouldn't go Latarbut Ra'ah until he was, until Avraham died, until Esau was 15. So, if in order to fit this together and keep Rashi consistent, we'd have to say that not only between 13 and 15 is he not rebelling, but he's not going Latarbut Ra'ah. So I would explain that as saying Tarbut Ra'ah is his very behavior, his, his general behavior is bad. That didn't happen until he was 15. What happens here when he's 13 is he's going in that direction. Parash la Literally, he separates two Avodazara. So one can imagine that one's going this way, one's going that way, but it doesn't mean he's a fully fledged Bal Avodazara. That only happens when he's 15, as we will see. Because on the day that Avraham dies, Rashi says something about Aesop's behavior on that day, which he hasn't said before. So, in conclusion, to fit these two Rashis together, we have to say that there's a difference between Parash, Parasla, sorry, Parasla Avodazara and Marad, and also um, going Latarbutra'ah. So, Marad, rebellion, going Latarbutra'ah did not happen until Aesop was 15. But from 13, he was in that direction. Perhaps you can make a whole drusher and a whole um, guide to parenting that's saying if the child starts to go in that direction and he carries on going in that direction, then the next stage is going to be fully fledged rebellion. So it's better to pull him back before he gets there. Um, maybe, maybe you could make a drusher like that. Okay, so when he is 13, then Asav is Ish Yodea Sayit, a man knowing hunting. And the next thing is Ish Sadeh. Now, look very carefully, because the Pasuk says two things about Esau, Ish Yodeh Sayed and Ish Sadeh. And it also says two things about Yaakov, Ish Tam and Yoshev Ahalim. Just remember that. Let's look at Rashi. Rashi says in Yodeh Sayed, Latsud Ulramut et Aviv Bapiv. To literally to hunt or oh, sorry, to trap and to trick his father with his mouth, with Esau's mouth, and would ask him, Abba, Daddy, how do we take Misa from Melach, salt, and Teven, straw? So Yitzchak would think that Esau was particular in mitzvot. So there's lots of things to say there. First of all, why does Rashi understand Yodeya Tzayed as a reflection of Esau's character? Yodeya Tzayed could well be understood as knows how to hunt. And we do know clearly that Esau was a hunter. And when, when Yitzchak felt it was time to give the brachot to his sons, he tells Esau to go and hunt for some meat. So there's no doubt that Aesop is a hunter. So why don't we say Yodeya Tzayid means he knows how to hunt? Now, by the way, Rashi has a habit of presenting our biblical characters as good or bad. Um, Aesop definitely falls into the latter category. And whereas what we might think is the Pshat and is the view sometimes of other Maforshim, 
is not so bad. Rashi's pretty good about doling out the black paint to paint someone black. However, um, the Mizrahi, I actually learned this um, in the name of Nechama Leibovitz, but it's in the Mizrahi originally, is you can see very clearly the parallelism in the Pasuk. Asaph, two descriptions. Yaakov, two descriptions. In the case of the second of each descriptions, there's a clear matchup because they both refer to location. What was Esau's location? Ish Sadeh, a man of the field. What is Yaakov's location? Yoshev Ahalim, dweller in tents. So the second of the two descriptions match each other. So maybe the first of the two descriptions should also match each other. What is the first of the descriptions about Yaakov? Ish Tam. That is definitely about his character. That's what the word Tam means. Therefore, says Rashi, Ish Yodeyat Sayed, which matches up with Ish Tam, also is about character. It's also the case that it fits in with other things that Rashi says along the way, um, including precisely what he says in Pasuk Kafchet. So in order for Rashi to explain Kafchet, he actually needs to say this about Ish Yodeyat Sayed, that Esau knows how to trap, as in to trick, as in to trick his father. Next thing to say is, so Aesop is trying to appear really from, which, by the way, fits very nicely with what I was trying to explain about the previous Rashi. Yes, you're nodding. Because even while Aesop is um, parash la avodazara, is separating towards avodazara, he's also asking his father, clever Shilas, and appearing to be righteous. So he has not rebelled. He has not given it all up which he will do at a later stage. So he's still um, pretending to be a tzaddik, and therefore it's definitely not the case that he has rebelled, and Avraham, the grandfather, is still living a ripe old age. What's significant about salt and straw? Why salt and straw? Why does this Midrash, which Rashi is quoting, say salt and straw? Why Masa? That's another thing. Why Masa? Why does Esau try to be from about the mitzvah of taking Masa? So if we have a look at Kafvav Pasuk Yudbet in the next pera. So there's a sort of interlude between the birth of, Yitzha, uh, of Yaakov and Esau and the story of the bracha. And in that interlude, Yitzchak goes to live in Gerar, um, and he does very well there. He's very um, proper. He, he, he's, he's very successful in his um, farming business. And it says there, Kafbad Yudvet, Yizra Yitzchak Be'eretz Hahi. Yitzchak planted in that land, and he found in that year, Rashi says that year was a year of famine. And nevertheless, Me'a Sha'arim, a hundred measures. Hashem, Hashem blessed him. Why do we have to know exactly how much he acquired? Says Rashi there on the word Mea Sha'arim, Sha'amaduha Kama Ru'uya La Asot, the Asta Alachat Mea Mimasha Amaduha. He got a hundred times more than he thought he would get. Our rabbis say that that measuring, that actually estimation, was for the sake of taking Masa. 
So we see a connection between Yitzchak and the mitzvah of Masa. And we can go deeper and we can say there's some profound connection. But even on a fairly surface level, we see that Chazal identify Masa as a mitzvah that Yitzchak was doing. So it sort of fits that Esau, who is trying to impress his father, does so through the medium of talking about the mitzvah of Masa. Abba, you give Masa. I also want to give Masa. Now, and he gives the example, according to the Midrash, of how do you take Masa from salt and straw? So what's interesting about salt and straw? You don't take Masa. Why don't you take Masa? Not produce. Ah, okay, but all right. So why doesn't the why doesn't the example say how do you take masa from fish? Okay, so but why salt and straw? Okay, says the Maharal, salt and straw are close to produce. They're one level away from produce in two different ways. Straw is not produce, but it protects the produce. It's it's a shomer of the wheat. So the straw is what if you've got you left with when you've taken away the wheat or, or the you know the corn, sorry, the ears of wheat. So the purpose of the straw is like to help the wheat grow, but it's not the wheat itself. So it's one level removed. Salt, this is not what the Maharal says, but it's also dug out the ground. We're talking about rock salt, presumably, rather than sea salt. So just as produce comes out of the ground, salt also comes out of the ground. So it's close. That's not actually the point the Maharal makes. The Maharal says that it's used to um, flavor food. So it's a component in the making of food. It's just not regular food. And the Maharal also says they're actually the polar opposites because you, why don't you put straw in the food? It's edible because it's got no taste at all. Why don't you eat salt meat? Because it's got too much taste. So they are the opposites. So there's a nice uh, like, you know, parallelism between the two. So, and um, why didn't, okay, why didn't uh, the Midrash say that Esau says, how do you take Masa from vegetables? Carrots. Do you take Masa from carrots? Yeah, sort of think so. Yes, you do, but but only Midrabanam. Midrabanam, uh, it's only from the Shevet Aminim, from the seven species. Other species that grow in Israel, you are high to take Masa, Midrabanam. So, Aesop says, Aesop quotes substances where you're not even higher to take Midrabanam. So you can answer, answer, understand his question in two ways. It's not a huge difference between them, but it, it just tells you a different approach and what Aesop's trying to do. Either he's trying to say, Daddy, I, my, my simple understanding is you do take Masa from straw and salt, and I'm so keen to do the mitzvah. Tell me actually how to do it. Just give me the procedure. Or he could be saying something else. So there's another din of Masa that, uh, to put it simply, if you bring it into the house, but not through the front door, it's not Chayv and Masa. If you bring it through the front door, it is Chayv and Masa. So the Mishnah talks about people used to cheat by bringing it, dropping it down through the skylight so they wouldn't have to take Masa. So maybe Esau is speaking in a similar vein. He's saying, look, I know there's actually no here to take from Masa, for take Masa from salt or straw, but hech ma'asrin, how could we make it chayev? Is there like a, we'll bring it in through the front door? Is there some sort of process by which we could make ourselves chayev in the mitzvah? So according to the first explanation I just gave, he's just trying to do, or he's pretending to do what he thinks is the halach. According to the second explanation, he's saying, I want a humrah. I'm so from, 
please, I know it's actually a patur, I know there's an exemption here, but I want to have a chumrah. I want to make myself chayev even more than, than the Torah actually mandates. Tell me how to do it. So either way, he's trying to sound really, really from. Continues Rashi. Ish sadeh. Kamashma'o. It means what it sounds like. Adam batel. A person who is doing nothing, who is idle. But solder. And he traps the kashto with his bow, literally, i.e. bow and arrow. Chayot ofot. Um, wild animals and birds. Now, this is interesting. Ish Sadeh, man of the field. What might you have thought man of the field means? Farmer. 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 Um, but it doesn't, says Rashi. On the contrary, it means somebody who does nothing. He doesn't grow any produce at all. He does, he's a batel, he's idle, and he shoots animals, which is the opposite of being a farmer. Now, why does Rashi think Ish Sadeh doesn't mean farmer? The answer is because he knows something else does mean farmer. When Noah came out of the Teva, Perektet Pasukaf. Perektet Pasukaf. We are Noah. So uh, there's different ways to translate those words, but let's say Noah began. Ish Ha'adama. He was a man of the ground. So this is one of those. Uh, devices that Rashi does, which I think is so clever. This is why we say that Rashi sees the whole Torah like a shulchan arach, like a laid table. He knows what should be in every place. What's the idea of a laid table? That if you have all the place settings and there's a knife missing from one of them, you can instantly see there's a nice knife missing from one of them. How can you see that? Because you compare it to all the other place settings. That's how Rashi had the Torah in front of him. So he says here, ish sadeh, but it says there, ish ha'adama. So there's a difference between them. Now, clearly, Noah is growing things. He's growing the wrong things, it happens. He's growing a vin vineyard and he gets drunk, but he's growing things. So Ish Adama is a person who is growing things. So Ish Sadeh must be something else. And Ish Sadeh is somebody who does nothing, but he shoots arrows and kills animals. Uh, yes. Um, just in going on, I guess, comparing as Rashi says, uh, in terms of like, uh, in terms of ish sadeh, mm -hmm. as it sounds, yes, seemingly they're like, maybe I'm reading into this too much, but like when it says your day, uh, that's sort of like saying that Rashi doesn't see like a man who hunts as like Rashi sees him as a hunter, even though later on, he, like it's obviously he's a hunter, like Rashi only Dafka sees him in this one light, and that light is the light of well, cunning his father. I, I think. It, it's interesting. You actually raised a, a, an important point, which I haven't dwelt on. In Rashi takes the, re the explicit reference to Sayyid and says it means something else. And then he takes a word which doesn't have an explicit reference to Sayyid and says it means Sodeh, as Sodeh with a Tzadi. In Ish Sodeh, with a son, a sin, he says, Kamash Ma'o, Adam Batel, but Sodeh, the Kashto. Okay, so it's, 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 it's certainly noteworthy that where explicitly the Torah says Sayyid, Rashi says it doesn't mean hunting. And where the Torah doesn't say hunting, he says it means hunting. You see my point? Yeah. So I think it goes back to what I said before, that your day at Sayyid, because it matches up with Ishtam, must be telling you about his character. It's not telling you about his hunting skills. But we know he had hunting skills. So it makes sense that it's somewhere in the mix. Where is it in the mix? Contained in Ishtar there.
Now, Yaakov. Yaakov ish tum. What is meant by tum? Now, we all know about the ben tum. And how do we always translate the ben tum? Simple. And it's a terrible translation. Now, maybe, you know, historically, when the first Haggadah was translated, the word simple doesn't have the connotation it does today. Somebody, if a child is simple, maybe it's still not used in this sense, but certainly not long ago, it was used in the sense of what we now call special needs, uh, learning difficulties. So you have the four children, children, by the way, not sons. Um, there's the uh, Chacham and the Russia and the Tam, never he's simple which is always, uh, so sometimes that's sort of understood as he's like very immature. He's pictured as like, you know, standing with a balloon or something because he's <laughs> a little child. Whereas the She'enu Yodei Lishol is mamish a baby. That's, that's not shot. I mean, you can, there's, there's many interpretations, but it's not. <laughs> Ishtam, well, let's see what Rashi says about Yaakov. So Yaakov certainly isn't simple. Yaakov certainly is not lacking in learning capabilities. On the contrary, that's what Yosheva Halim means he spent all his time doing. So what is Ishtam? Says Rashi, He's not an expert in all of this. What's this? Sorry. Tricking his father. So not only are Ishyodeh Tzayed and Ishtam both talking about characteristics, more than that, says Rashi, they are opposites. One is a trickster, and one is Dafka, not a trickster. That's what Ishtam means. Eino baki bakal eila, kalibo kein piv. Like his heart is his mouth. What you see is what you get, or what you hear is what you get. Misha eino harif laramot kurui tam. Someone who is not sharp to cheat or to trick is called tam. So tam is somebody who is not a trickster. Ishadeh Tzai is a trickster. Tam is the opposite. Now, what does Tam really mean? Tam is related to Tamim. What is Tamim? Perfect. perfect. And what does perfect mean? Very interesting, this actually. What's the idea of a perfect person? So, you know, some, some people might think very fit or very good looking or, or has got it all very clever. Says Rashi, a perfect person is somebody who's honest, somebody who has integrity, somebody who, Kilibo, Kane, Piv, the opposite of a trickster. And that's the accolade. Now, I said, uh, Yaakov is clever. I mean, maybe he is. Um, he's, uh, he becomes a nobby. But uh, right now, that's not what Rashi is stressing. That's not what Tam particularly means. Tam means, he's not a trickster at all. Um, and that, by the way, is the Peshat in the Ben Tam. The Ben Tam is, I would, the best translation I think of is straightforward. He's not trying to be clever. He asks the question that he honestly wants to know the answer of. Maybe he's not a chacham. Maybe, but I, I don't think that's the point. But the nature of the Tam's question is it's a straightforward, honest question. Particularly the opposite of the Rasha, who asks a question in the Haggadah, and he doesn't really mean to ask the question. And uh, that will save that for Pesach, maybe. But the Ish, the Ben Tam, certainly is not simple, as in uh, young, immature, or not very clever. And the Ishtam here is not about clever. It's about honesty and integrity. And that is perfection. Tamim, Tam, is to be somebody who is not a trickster at all. And then it says, Yoshev Ohalim, dweller in tents. It says, Rashi, Ahalo shall Shem, but Ahalo shall Aver. The tent of shame and the tent of Aver. So the first thing to say is, why doesn't Rashi leave this literal? 
He lives in tents. I think the answer to that is very obvious. That would be very, very much no big deal. It wouldn't need to be said. Where did anybody else live? Yeah, yeah. he lived in tents. Other people lived on the 25th floor of an apartment block. No, everyone lived in tents. So the dweller of tent must be something else. And again, it must fit in with saying something about his character. We've all, I mean, uh, it's a bit circular. We've already said Ish Sader reflects his character through the medium of talking about his location. So Yosheva Halim also talks about his location, but really means something about his personality. And why does it say, why does Rashi say, Oholo shal shem, the Oholo shal ever? Very simple, because there are two tents. Yeah, Ahalim. Uh, if there's two tents, then there must be two tents. So who was Shem and Eva? Shem was the son of Noah. Eva was the great grandson of Shem. Um, not his son, not his grandson. If you look back in Perak Yudal, if you'll see, he's his great grandson. And as we know, they set up a yeshiva. And it's a subject of great discussion. What exactly did they learn in that yeshiva? What was the curriculum? How many Talmudim were there? Because we only ever know of. Uh, Yitzchak, possibly, and Yaakov. Uh, it's interesting that when Yaakov runs away at the end of the parsha, um, he spends 14, Rashi calculates that he must have spent 14 years uh, stopped before he got to um, uh, Haran. And Yes, ah, beautiful. So in Kafchet Tet, so it's a very long Rashi, a lot of calculations about how people, how old people were at different times. But um, in my book, it's about 10 lines down. It says, Nimza, Yaakov, okay, Lamadnu, Mikan, and we learn from this from all the calculations, Shenitman, Babet, Aver, Arba, Isreishana, that Yaakov was literally hidden in the house of Aver for 14 years. Why not Shem? Why not Shem the Aver? The answer is, because if you do the calculations, you'll find that by the time Yaakov got the brachas when he was 63 years old, Shem had already died. Shem died, I think, when Yaakov was 15. Sorry, 50, 50. But when he was 13, he was very much still alive. So it's a very beautiful, precise diok in Rashi that when he runs away after the age when Shem has died, he runs to the house of Aver. But when he's young, before the age when Shem has died, he dwells in the tent of Shem and the tent of Aver. Right. I said there was a lot to say on that, Pasuk. I think we've done it. Question. Yes, please. Um, is there any significance in the fact that um, Esav gets Ish, your dad said Ish Sadeh, but when it comes to Yosheva Halim, there's no ish, it's just ish Um, I was just wondering that as I noticed that. I was wondering if anyone was going to ask. I don't know. Um, you could say simply, um, Yoshev is a verb. So it's a, it's a, a dweller in tents. So that's, an, that, that, I'm giving you a very, very uh, you know, um, shallow answer. Yosheva Halim works as a description. He is a dweller in tents, whereas soder on its own wouldn't work. Yeah. So you need to have a verb or you need to have something that goes with soder, like ish soder. Mm -hmm. Having said that, it's true, you're absolutely right, that we have Yaakov, Esav is ish, ish, and Yaakov is ish, something else. So I don't know is the answer to your question. Rashi doesn't see anything, or we, we don't, I don't think Rashi is uh, referring to that. 
but maybe. Because yeah, especially like you said before, like the parallel. So when you're looking at a parallel, you notice really it's missing. Stands out. Yes, yeah. uh, but that's why I say that Yoshev Halim is like a whole phrase, like Ish Sadeh is a whole phrase. They both work as phrases. Whereas if you took off the Ish from Sadeh, you wouldn't have. It wouldn't make sense. But you're right. It, it does sort of cry out, examine me, if not expound me. Pasukav Chet, Yitzchak et Esav. Yitzchak loved Esav. Because there was Sayed in his mouth. For Rivka or Hebet et Yaakov. And Rivka loved Yaakov. Very perplexing, Pasuk. Why does Yitzchak love Esau? Um, this isn't Rashi. I think it's the Sephorno, which just adds one word, which makes everything beautiful. He says, Yitzchak loved also Esau. Rivka loved Yaakov. So instead of Yitzchak, being the slightly um, odd patriarch who loves the wrong son, with that extra word from the Sforno, he becomes the great lover of both of his children. He has room in his heart to love not just Yaakov, but also to love Esau. Rivka, according to this, is not on the same level. She can't love Esau, she can only love Yaakov. So I heard it said, in the name of somebody, that it's easy to love Yaakov. You know why? Because he's lovable much harder to love Esau, and Yitzchak was able to love Esau. Anyway, that's actually not what it says here. It is a Svorno, and it's not what Rashi says. So let's get back to Rashi. So on the words, v'piv, in his mouth, says Rashi, k'targumo, like the targum, i.e. v'piv shel Yitzchak, in the mouth of Yitzchak. If you look at the targum, it says, so it doesn't actually say in the mouth of Yitzchak, which is what Rashi says it says. It says because of the hunting that he ate. Now, before I go on, Rashi is going to bring two pshatim. And one of the problems that Rashi is addressing is the famous problem, which I often highlight, of pronouns. Why are pronouns a problem? Because you don't know to whom they are referring. Okay, I have a rule in my office when we have meetings, don't give me pronouns because I get very confused about whom we're talking about. Is it the child? Is it the parent? Is it the mother? Is it the grandmother? Is it the sister? Is it the teacher? It's all she. Um, so here also, perhaps it will be simpler if we didn't have any pronouns, but we do. So Yitzchak loved Esau because there were Tzayit in his mouth. Whose mouth? Now, normally you would say the pronoun refers to the previously identified person. Now, the previously identified person is Esau. So Yitzchak loved Esau because there was Syed in his mouth, Esau's mouth. Well, you could also say that perhaps the pronoun refers to the previously identified subject, not the object, the doer in the sentence. Who's the doer in this sentence? Yitzchak. He's the subject. Esau is the object. So maybe the piv, his mouth, refers back to the previous subject, which was Yitzchak. So we're not sure. Maybe it's Yitzchak, maybe it's Esau. So Rashi points us to the Targum, who says Yitzchak loved Esau because the hunting was he ate. So it doesn't make sense to say Yitzchak loved Esau because Esau ate of Esau's hunting. It, that, that obviously is not what the Targum means. Rashi is obviously correct, but the Targum is saying Yitzchak loved Esau because Yitzchak ate of Esau's hunting. 
So Bapiv was the mouth of Yitzchak. So going back to the Rashi, Bapiv, and he's noticed he's commenting on the word Bapiv, Katargumo, like the Targum says, Bapiv shell Yitzchak. It was in the mouth of Yitzchak. And so why does Yitzchak love Esau? Because he loves the food that Esau brings him, which is a bit problematic because we would have thought, I would have thought, that Yitzchak has greater discernment than to um, pour out his love on just somebody who gives him the nicer food. So maybe that's why Rashi brings another explanation. Umidrasho, Bapiv shall Esav, in the mouth of Esav. Shahayat sad oto, because he would trap him, too many pronouns here, but it means Esav would trap Yitzchak, Umaramehu, Bidivarav, and trick him with his words. Now, something I learned from the Hamalevans is when you have two Pshatim, either two Pshatim within Rashi or two different Mephoshim, it's a very good exercise to identify what is the single point of the disagreement. What is the one question which gives you a binary answer which points to the two different Pshatim? And here Rashi actually helps us because he makes it quite clear um, what is the point. And the question is, when I spent time addressing, the whose mouth? According to the first pshat, it's the mouth of Yitzchak, referring to the mouth which is full of the meat which Esau has hunted. According to the second pshat, and Rashi points it out, it's the mouth of Esau. And as I showed you, it's ambiguous because there's a pronoun, we don't know to whom it refers, and you can actually make a very good grammatical case that it refers to Esau or it refers to Yitzchak. So Rashi gives you both explanations. So that is the single grammatical point on which the divergence hangs. Piv, Piv shall Yitzchak or Piv shall Esau. It also obviously gives two quite different meanings to the word Sayyid and also two quite different understandings of what this love that Yitzchak had for Esau was all about. So according to the first explanation, the mouth is the mouth of Yitzchak. And what did Sayyid mean? Hunted animal, which is probably a better shot for the word Sayyid. According to the second explanation, it's the mouth of Esau. And what does Sayyid mean? It means trickery, which is probably not the shot way of translating the word Sayyid, which is why Rashi introduces it and calls it a Midrash. It's interesting because he says, this is the Midrash. What? Use the word side as deception with Pasuk earlier. Yes, he did. Although, although slightly different because it was Ish Yodeya Tzayid. It was a, um, a something that you do. It clearly wasn't something that you eat. Ish Yodeya Tzayid, right? It can't mean a man who knows about meat, about meat that's been hunted. Whereas when that's Sayyid Bapiv, then it can meet, mean, and probably does meet, mean, meat that's been hunted. <laughs> You see, you see my point? It's the Yodea that makes it slightly different. Um, but Rashi's second explanation, which matches, if you like, with his comment on Yodea side, matches better, but I think is more distorting for the simple shot of the word Sayyid, makes Sayyid mean the act of trickery. Um, and it also, as I say, according to the first explanation, Yitzchak loves Esau because Yitzchak enjoys eating meat. According to the second explanation, Yitzchak loves Esau because Esau tricks him into thinking that Esau is a tzaddik, is a 
somebody worthy of his love. I'll just say at this point, and this is absolutely not Russia. I don't think there's any hint of this in Russia at all. Actually, maybe there is, depending how you read it. But there is a suggestion that Yitzhak was naive. Um, for the, and you can suggest various reasons why this came about. Um, but perhaps because he's on such an elevated level, he's unable to see people who are dishonest. And he, that's why he couldn't see through um, Esau's trickery. Rivka, by the way, was well-trained in seeing through people's trickery. Why would that be? Her brother, her father, her mishpacha. She, was, she could see through tricksters very well. She grew up as the sister of the greatest trickster of all. So she can see through Esau's trickery in a way that Yitzchak can't. And when I, I, I hesitated for a moment, we will see that when Yitzchak's eyes grew, grow dim, Rashi gives three explanations of how that came about. And one of which is that when he was on the Mizbeach, on Ha Maria, the Malachim were crying at what was about to happen to him. And their tears went into his eyes and uh, made his eyesight weak. And perhaps you can say it's a metaphor for making him unable to discern easily between truth and trickery. But I, I find this very problematic. To say that we can equate sidchut with naivety, um, I don't think is really the Jewish way. I don't find we find that elsewhere. So, and I don't think Rashi says anywhere that Yitzchak was naive. Having said that, Rashi does say that Yitzchak fell for it. That Yitzchak fell for the trickery which um, Aesop employed and that was why he loved, according to the second explanation, that's why he loved Esau. Um, by the way, again, this fits in with what I wanted to say in Kafzain about Yigdalu Hanarim. This is after the Yigdalu Hanarim, and Esau is already going towards the Vodazara, but at home, according to the second explanation, his father thinks he's a Sadiq, so clearly he's not rebelled, he's not broken away, and Abraham is still enjoying a ripe old age. Although, that ripe old age comes to an end very soon because in Pasuk Kaftet, Vayazed Yaakov Nazid, Vayavo Esav Min Hasader, Vahu Ayef. Yaakov, well, what does Vayazed mean? Says Rashi, Lashon Bishol Katargumo. It's an expression of Bishol, of cooking, like the Targum has it. Because if you look at the Targum, instead of Vayazed, we have Uvashil Yaakov. Tavshila. So I <coughs> venture to suggest, and as some of you will know, I always apologize just in case I'm being too simplistic, but I would count this Rashi as a simple, what does the word mean, Rashi? <coughs> it is a rare word. It does not occur often. I didn't check how often it occurs. It might even be, this is the only place, but I'm not sure. But it's certainly rare. So Rashi needs to tell you what it means. It means cooked. So Yaakov was cooking Nazid, which is the same word. So he was cooking, cooking. Um, doesn't say at this point what the dish was, but later on it does. Um, yes, in Lama Dalad, when after the deal, the exchange of the birthright, however that was, as we will learn, but Yaakov natan Esav lechem unazid adashim. Yaakov gave to Esav bread and cooking of lentils. So we don't know until Lamadalad that what was actually being cooked, but it turns out to be lentils, uh, as will be explained and the significance of that in Posit Lamad, which we'll get to next week. But we just have time to talk about Bahu Ayef. Yaakov, Esau was Ayef. 
says Rashi, Baratzicha, with murder. Kamadatema, as the Pasuk says in Yemiahu, Ki Aifa Nafshi Lahorgim, my soul is tired because of the killers. Now, there's a slight problem here, which I'm not sure of the answer to. If you look there in the Pasuk, it's talking about lots of bad things that happen at the time of the Chorban, as, as we find a lot in Yemiahu. Pretty depressing, Sefer. A lot of bad things happen in Yemiahu. And the people are suffering because of all the knock-on effects of the Chorban itself, including people being killed. And Carl Yisrael is saying, uh, my soul is tired, because of the people who are killing me. But here, Rashi says, Aesop is tired because Aesop has been killing. So it's like it's a little, the Pasuk talks about people who are the victims are tired. In fact, Rashi wants to say that Aesop, who is the perpetrator, is tired. But I presume what Rashi is saying is the Pasuk gives you a connection between fatigue and killing, even if it's not the very precise connection. Now, why does Rashi say that he's tired for Rechitza, whatever, Ritzicha, rather? Why can't he just say he's tired? So if you look at the structure of the Pasuk, if you wanted to say, as you might casually read this verse, that he's tired because he's been out in the field, he's been running around hunting all day, even though he's batel, he's like idle in the field, but when he's, when he's active, he's hunting. If you wanted to say that he came in tired from the field, how would you have written it? Exactly. It would have said, that would be a perfectly legitimate Hebrew syntax, but it doesn't. And the trop actually magnifies that. It separates min hasadeh from the who. So what the pastor is saying, he comes from the field. That's what he's done. And a separate point, the who ayef. And he is tired. So he's not tired from the field. He's tired from something else. Now, you might know what Rashi is going to say on the next verse. Why was Yaakov doing the cooking? What meal was he cooking? Avram uh, Abraham had died. And this is the Sudat Havara. This is the Suda that you cook for the mornings. Who's mourning? Yitzchak. So Yitzchak's in Yeshiva. And Yaakov is cooking the Sudat Havara. So on this very day, Abraham has died. And I didn't plan it this way, but this now I can end the share exactly where we began it. What did Rashi would say? that Esau would do on the day that Abraham died, he would rebel. So there's going to be, on the day that Abraham dies, suddenly the mask is ripped off. He's no longer asking about how you take my sir. Didn't He's, last very long. <laughs> it didn't last very long, two years. He's killing people. Now, I haven't got an explanation why Rashi says, Ritzicha, Dafka. In the Midrash that says he committed five different Avera, he raped and he stole and he killed, you know, really, really, really bad. Rashi doesn't mention all of that. He's not here, but he does mention Ritzicha. So I haven't got an explanation of why Dafka it's Ritzicha, but it's something that A, makes him tired, and B, makes a distinct break from what he's done before. He's suddenly crossed the line, but he's crossed the line big time. Yes? Ritzicha, so it, it, it's only relatively humans. Yeah, Ritzicha only is Lashon, like for the sake of humans? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I don't think you murder animals, no. I think. Yes? On the IF, I think Torah-wise, this is from our teacher of Kutzna, um, that you only have it in the description of Amalek in Tvarim, um, but there it refers to 
like Obama elected Happy Israel when they were IF. Yeah, they, they, they Israel were IF. So it's like, and that's also the language of the fiction. So yes. It's like interesting that, you know, yeah, team, yeah, like Yaakov sort of not, some might say, um, you know, not deceiving, but, you know, get getting advantage over Asa when he was tired, and then Amalek getting advantage over Israel. The nation ah, and Amalek, of course, being a descendant of Asa. Yes. Yes. That's, that's very nice. The other thing I was thinking about is, is that I know like the Zion and Dalits can switch in Aramaic. Is there any precedent for Zadi and Zion to switch? Because Zaid and Nazid and Bayezid are like foodie and deception sort of language. Uh, oh, I see. Yeah. And Yazid, Yazid, uh, I don't know. I, I'm not familiar with a Zion Sadi switch, even though they do sound quite similar. And like Zadon's a lot more. Deceptive. Yeah. So, well, Zadon is deliberate. Yeah, like Maisel. Yeah. That's to do it. Maybe it's not deceptive stuff. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, we will stop there. We will meet again next week. Thank you all. Thank you, Thank you very Thank much. You very yeah. much. So interesting as always. Thank you. Thank you.